It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. Hey, welcome into the latest edition of the Show Before the Show podcast, the official podcast of minor league baseball. Uh, Benjamin Hill and I, the two of us, uh, alone with our feelings and our thoughts and no Sam Dykstra. Um, we got into the weeds before we started recording today, and we somehow ended up on the topic of UL Washington, former Kansas City Royals infielder, uh, who actually played for the Royals, the Expos, and the Pittsburgh Pirates. But it's because he's a big fan of the toothpick, and uh, Ben Hill also kicked off this week's episode of the show before the show, Toothpick in Mouth. Cool. I did. And I did. As I said, like, you know, you know, this is my commitment to the podcast. And so all its listeners, I actually took today off. We're recording actually on Friday morning. Uh, so the podcast will be up eventually. But, you know, today, later, um, I took the day off. But of course, uh needed to do the podcast. And so I was cleaning my desk and I found the toothpick. Cause that's what I do on my day off. I just like clean and straighten. Now this is like my life right now, all the little to-do list things I don't do otherwise. And I found a toothpick and I was like, who is that guy who was known for having a toothpick? UL Washington. UL Washington. And uh, yeah, Tyler and I started digging around. The UL does not stand for anything. Yeah. It just is given name. letter U is actually UL and like no periods in there. It's just U space L space. Um, he played in the 1980 World Series, UL, the given name. Uh, he also was the manager of a team in the New York Penn League, uh, in 1989, Ben, the Welland, Welland, Welland Pirates. Did not know. Yeah, I've heard of that team before. I want to say, for some reason, I have an association with the Welland Pirates, um, obviously before our time covering minor league baseball. Did Tim Wakefield play for the Welland Pirates? Why do I now I gotta look at the name Tim Wakefield Welland in my in my mind? And uh I think he did. I think he did. UL Washington um, was also uh in the Boston Red Sox organization as a coach for a long time from starting in 2003 off and on through 2014, according to his baseball reference bullpen page, which I guess he still could be, uh, depending on the last time this page was updated. But uh, if you were looking for a breakdown of UL Washington and his longtime life in baseball coming into the show before the show today, uh, we got you covered. He's also from a place called Stringtown, Oklahoma which has a population of around 400 people and yet produced a big league infielder and also Reba McIntyre. What? (laughs) These are the conversations that we have in the early December episodes of the official podcast of minor league baseball. And I'm into it. Yeah. There's something in the water in Stringtown, Oklahoma. (laughs) Well, welcome into this week's episode. We will have uh, our fearless uh, globe trotting pal, Samuel P. Dykstra back on the show before the show next week. Uh, and we are 
I'm going to dive into some winter meetings conversation on this week's episode as Ben has returned from sunny San Diego, California. And uh, for those of you who are also out there and for those of you just tuned in on this week's episode of the show before the show, a huge thanks uh, for joining us. You can get in touch with us, podcast at MILB.com. We've gotten a couple of emails in recent weeks into the podcast that um, have been pretty cool to see that people are still tuning in even after the season is over. And uh, so we've got winter meetings updates. And for those of you who are interested and curious about the winter meetings, uh, especially in the post minor league, major league takeover era, uh, we've got the guy with the story and that's Ben Hill. Ben, what was it like? You've been uh, to a lot of winter meetings, especially in the pre-pandemic world, the pre-minor league restructuring world. This is a very different winter meetings landscape now, but give us kind of your overall impressions of what it was like in San Diego. Yeah, it, it did have a kind of vibe of the more things change, the more they stay the same. But wait, it's actually kind of different. It took me a long time to kind of wrap my head around uh, the event. It, it, there are aspects that certainly felt very familiar. But yes, I attended the winter meetings in some capacity every single year from 2007 to 2019. So I got very used to the rhythms of the winter meetings. And they were almost always a few things changed here and there through the years, but they were very similar. Uh, in terms of the overall structure, layout, programming, and whatnot. Um, was it in San Diego two previous times, 2014 and 2019? 2019 in San Diego was the last winter meetings I had been to until just earlier this week, 2022 in San Diego. And uh, so it felt familiar. It's the third time being there uh, at the winter meetings in San Diego. Uh, you know, something I always mention when talking about the winter meetings uh you know, is that, you know, what a minor league specific event it is, um, you know, up and through the 2019 winter meetings, when minor league baseball was a separate entity based in St. Petersburg, it was minor league baseball that picked the location of the winter meetings, scheduled it. And major league baseball was essentially a guest of minor league baseball at the winter meetings, major league baseball, um, you know, always got the most attention, of course, with all the, uh, you know, hot stove rumors that go on and big trades and the arson judge type moments that that occur. Um, but it was a minor league event. Um, so now, you know, Major League Baseball is running minor league baseball. So it's a, it's a major league event. And um, so that that was interesting to see that it's, you know, more of a unified event, but also the same way it's always been, at least in a venue like San Diego or a location like San Diego, um, there isn't a hotel big enough to accommodate the event all in one space. So you have the major league side at the Hyatt and then a maybe 15 minute walk, you know, down that Bayfront boardwalk to the Hilton where the minor league side is. And that's where I was based. So if you're a baseball fan and you almost certainly are listening to this and you paid some attention to the winter meetings, which you likely did, everything that you saw in the media coverage, um, you know, tied into free agent signings and trades and rumors and everything else was going on at the Hyatt where I was and where the minor league baseball industry was down the way at the Hilton. And, um, you know, there's less going on. There used to be a trade show at the convention center in between the two hotels. Uh, that wasn't part of the event this year. Uh, there wasn't a formal, you know, job, uh, job seekers fair. So that element uh, was not there either, or that level of attendee. So that also just means there was just a lot less people attending the winter meetings in general when you take away the massive pool of job seekers and trade show vendors and people associated with that aspect, you know, it was almost all people who worked in the industry and media 
And in terms of minor league specific media who are really based in the Hilton, um, you know, I think Ballpark Digest was there, uh, Baseball America, but even they might be more on the major league side at times. Well, depending, uh, but it's it's not really an event that's, you know, covered for public consumption uh, on the minor league side. Um, you know, there's an opening session just kind of talking about issues facing the industry going forward. Um, just a kind of top down overview. There were you know, some seminars throughout the day and breakout sessions. Uh, you know, a lot of them were tied into the more, you know, the national initiatives going on right now, such as the nine, you know, celebrating Negro League teams and black baseball history throughout minor league, uh, you know, markets and ballparks. Uh, you know, uh, how Defenders of the Diamond, you know, how to do that and learn from other teams and implementing that. And obviously it's going to be a big season for that in 2023 with uh, that collaboration with Marvel, Defenders of the Diamond, teams having their own, um, you know, Marvel-themed identities. So it was a lot more uh, kind of top-down implement- implementation of national initiatives that were that were discussed. Um, I am looking forward at some point, hopefully, for a you know, promo seminar slash innovator summit event to come back where teams can just really riff on the specific things that they did um, and see some, you know, more idea sharing in terms of, um, you know, bubbling up from the grassroots level, um, you know, because it's, it's, uh, they're not mutually exclusive things, but there's, those are the two types of promos, very broadly speaking, uh, you know, what comes down in a, uh, for national implementation in a top-down sort of way like here's this thing that you can participate in um you know that that like the nine like um a lot of the pride night initiatives like uh defenders of the diamond or there's hey we're just a team and wherever in the country and we had this idea for a theme night and it really worked let's you know let's tell you about it um so yeah and there were less um people attending uh from the teams you know there sometimes you go to the winter meetings, especially if uh, a minor league team happened to be playing or you know, they, if they operated within driving distance of where the winter meetings were being held, sometimes you'd see, you know, six, eight, ten people from one team at the winter meetings. But this time around, it was usually just one, two, three people uh, from each organization. So it was great to see a lot of people. I hadn't been you know, to an event in three years, and so it was good to see some people that I hadn't seen for three years. Um, but with the lower attendance rate, Overall, um, you know, didn't get to, you know, meet as many new people uh, as I would like. Uh, as, but of course, I did meet some people. And uh, and that, that is always a great part of the winter meetings, no matter what is going on, um, you know, in an official scheduled way. It's just a place for the industry to come together and, um, you know, talk and hang out in the hotel bar. And, you know, I didn't even go to a piano bar. I know that some people working in minor league baseball surely did. And I feel like so many industry events ended up with me at a piano bar for a night or two because that's where minor league baseball people went. But I didn't even make it to the piano bar. I feel like I'm losing my edge. So, you know, I've been rambling a little bit, um, but it it was good to be there uh, in my newsletter, you know, have uh, other things uh, related to the winter meetings going on. The the Golden Bobblehead Awards came back and uh, various other awards were given out at the uh, Sunday night you know, uh, reception and awards dinner slash ceremony. Um, so it was good to see some golden bobbleheads come back. I recapped some of those um, in the newsletter and there's, uh, you know, the press release on MILB.com recapping some of the winners. I believe the best overall promotion was uh, the St. Paul Saints for one Sego Masabuchi, um, their longtime usher-tainer slash kind of jack-of-all-trades, a guy who's done a lot of things for the Saints over the decades 
Um, I wrote a story about him when I visited St. Paul, but he ran a marathon at the ballpark in during the 2022 season, uh, you know, raised money for charity while doing it. It was his sort of comeback marathon, the 91st of his career. Uh, but he had, you know, had COVID and suffered some serious health issues with COVID. So it was a triumphant story for him. And uh, I believe that was like the best, uh, you know, in-game, you know, promotion or theme night of the year, uh, St. Paul Saints Ballpark Marathon. So that was cool to see. And, um, you know, other awards along those lines. And some of the other awards will tie into um, segments on this podcast uh, today. So, you know, everything is connected. And, yeah, it's a lot to process. I'm sorry that I've been all bit all over the place in, in trying to recap the, the winter meetings. As I said, a site that I've been to several times, uh, lots of familiar people, lots of elements that I was familiar with in the past, but also different, having been three years since an event and having the industry change quite a bit. Um, and I think going forward, it will change more. And you know, we're all just kind of rolling with it. And uh, each year, just, you know, figuring it out, you know, not quite as we go along. Hopefully, you know, you, you learn. Well, no, as we go along. I mean, how else does one learn in life? Yeah, it's true. And uh, with all the changes and everything, it's kind of a continually evolving event. Um, when you uh, got a chance to talk to people that you have known for a long time around the industry, what was it like, especially for people that you hadn't seen you know, since your previous trip to winter meetings a few years ago, uh, what were those conversations like with how different the event is now compared to what it used to be? And especially just, you know, the changes that we've all had coming through the pandemic in the minor league landscape of now getting back to a normal season in 2022 for the most part, but still uh, a very different landscape from what it was like before. Yeah, I mean, obviously with still such a wide industry, so many people within it, um, you definitely got different opinions and, you know, I was interested in just talking to people, you know, not for, you know, off the record, not for any specific story, but just trying to understand how people are approaching the season, how they have handled the last couple of years, how they feel going forward. I would definitely say on the whole, it, it, it's feeling like a more optimistic time right now because, um, and this is what I got from a lot of those conversations. I mean, 2020 was, you know, horrible, no season at all. Then, then the angst and excuse me uncertainty you know tied in with the you know restructuring of uh the entire minor league baseball landscape and you have that kind of happening in conjunction with trying to come out of the pandemic and then 2021 was deeply compromised uh with the first year of the new setup and a covid compromised season so 2022 is like okay things are normal but just starting to be normal and i think that was one of the great things about the winter meetings is um i think it gave a lot of people more context um, to understand, you know, who, what the priorities are right now, um, you know, who's in charge to have face-to-face conversations that of course can't often be had, you know, during the course of the year. And so I think, you know, more and more context is, is, is always a great thing. And just an understanding of, okay, that's that person. That's this person. Okay. They're, we're prioritizing this. Okay. That's a great idea. We want to do this. So I think on the whole, moving into 2023, we keep using the word normalcy, but things just keep getting more normal. And I think uh, after such a challenging time, there is an optimism now that like, okay, we're getting, you know, we're getting our sea legs here. We're understanding uh, how we move forward together. And so I do think as much as it did feel weird to be in an event that elements had changed and, you know, so much had changed in the last couple of years. Um, I do think optimism overall is certainly the sentiment uh, going forward as things become more and more familiar and uh, things get more and more, you know, quote unquote normal. And I do think 
uh, there is a lot of uh, potential for growth and, you know, a lot of, um, you know, the top-down initiatives that I was talking about later um, and tied in with, you know, partnerships that have began or will be starting in 2023, um, you know, just ways to deliver the game of minor league baseball to internet audiences, um, you know, promotions that teams can do, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Um, there's a lot of untapped potential now, and it'll be it'll be interesting to see uh, how things grow in 2023 and beyond. All right, Ben. Well, you had a couple of conversations. Uh, well, you had a lot of conversations at the winter meetings in San Diego, but you had a couple that we're going to hear on the podcast: a minor league veteran and a minor league not rookie, but somebody in the early stages of a minor league career. Uh, where are we going first? We're going to hear one interview. We're going to wrap up and transition. Then we're going to close the book on the winter meetings. Uh, take us away, Ben. Yeah, well, you know, Sunday night, uh, as I mentioned, was the you know opening night reception and awards ceremony. They gave the golden bobbleheads, but there was also a number of team-based and individual-based awards. And uh, the executive of the year was Mike Nutter, president Fort Wayne Tin Caps. And, you know, I've, I've known Mike um, for a number of years, probably over a decade, not well, but I've visited Fort Wayne a couple times, you know, of course, seen him at, at industry events in the past. Um, always friendly, but didn't really know him too well. And, you know, when he was named executive of the year, I thought this is a good chance to talk to him about how he feels about this award because he didn't know he was going to win it. The winners weren't announced ahead of time and he was visibly you know, emotional when he got it. And, um, I think it put him in a really introspective mood about 30 years in minor league baseball, uh, where, where it was at when he began and, um, you know, what it is now. So we talked the day after, uh, he won the award on Monday and, um, I think this is actually a great interview. Um, you can see why a person like Mike Nutter was named the executive of the year. Uh, cause when you're a president of the team, so much is about leadership. And I think he has really evolved as a leader in his career. He sees how the industry is evolving and tries to keep up. He's not one of those people who just says, oh, this is the way we always used to do it. So it's good enough now, uh, you know, speaks a lot about it is, you know, and he even says it's kind of a buzzword, but it's honestly a word I haven't heard used in minor league baseball very often, you know, about vulnerability and mental health and, you know, managing people at this particular time of, you know, American life and uh at this particular moment in minor league baseball and uh, i just found him to be um, very open and honest and empathetic and thought to myself you know i've always thought he was a good guy but especially after talking into him for this interview i was like okay i can see why this guy is winning an award such as that and why fort wayne has been you know such a successful organization with him at the helm so we are going to hear that right now i believe and uh, mike nutter president of the fort wayne tin caps the 2022 minor league baseball executive of the year. I'm here. This episode is brought to you by progressive insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too, with the name, your price tool from progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. At the baseball winter meetings in San Diego, California, and I'm speaking with the 
2022 Minor League Executive of the Year, Mike Nutter with the Fort Wayne Tin Caps. Uh, Mike, thanks for speaking with me, and congrats on the award. Thanks so much. I was, uh, to say I was surprised or shocked last night or during the ceremony was an understatement. I just assumed they told the winners ahead of time, but come <laughs> to find out they don't. And so uh, it's really great to be on with you. Yeah, and um, you were given this award on Sunday night, the sort of kickoff of the winter meetings, uh, part of a larger awards uh, reception. And as you said, you didn't know about it, and you seemed, uh, you know, visibly moved and a little, uh, a little emotional with the whole thing. You know, what does it mean to you to just have that on your resume now, or even if it's not on your resume, yeah. just to know that you got that award? It's really cool. You know, it, I, I told a, a, a friend in the media back in Fort Wayne today that it, we get so busy, right? We're on to the next thing, even in our game, right? I, my good buddy Jim Jarecki with the West Wishing Whitecaps always tells me if he writes a book, it's going to be paraphrasing the title, like I live my life by the pocket schedule or something. <laughs> We're always on to the next. But today and last night did provide a little chance to reflect. And so I'm not the most overly emotional guy, but I, I, I try and be sincere and, and genuine and vulnerable. And it was like, 31 years ago, I was the picking up peanuts and trash at the Kane County Cougars because my family moved there on a transfer and all the stops along the way and the incredible people that I've gotten to work with and, and for, including Jason Fryer now, who's got a few teams. It's, it's uh, really, really wild. I, it's still, I, you know, I turned 50 on October 30th. And I, you know, I, maybe it's all of us like growing up in this industry where I don't look at my friends as older or any of that kind of stuff, but I do think back to when we started and I do remember looking across the room and seeing some older people, um, and more experienced people than me. I didn't know at the time I'd become one of those, but, uh, <laughs> so there's a little calling, I mean, not to be dramatic, but like to make it as welcoming and warm for that next generation coming through. And I, I, I feel like our game is in a great place. I feel like after COVID and after some uncertainty with the MLB partnership and the new stuff, that meetings like this, when you get together and share ideas and get the blood flowing, we're in a great spot and the future is very bright. Yeah, so you've been with the Fort Wayne Tin Caps since I guess the first year in Fort Wayne, which was 2009, I want yeah, to say. Yeah, and then the Wizards before that yeah, in town. Yeah, with the Wizards yeah. before that. Um, you know, been at the, the top of the organizational <laughs> chart for quite some time there. Um, you, you talked about it a little bit and wanting to make it more welcoming to the next generation, but what is your, you know, approach as a leader and, you know, how do you motivate staff and how do you think that tied into being recognized like you have been uh, here at the winter meetings? I love that. So I want to be clear that for the people that I learned from and that I came up with, uh, you know, Bill Larson comes to mind and and uh, Scott Lane that had a long career at the West Michigan Whitecaps and Jeff Sedevy and Curtis Haug with the Kane County Cougars and some of those guys that I, we all take everything, take what different great experiences from different leaders where I feel like, um, the game is going now. I remember front offices where, I mean, if I'm just being blunt, a long time ago back in the Stone Age, it was all male, some, you know, all white male, you know, some, again. And so I feel like the game has become so much more inclusive, which is just so awesome with things like COPA and the pride celebrations 
and uh, the nine that's coming out now. And it, so like the game like that we're marketing, but also in offices. And so a, a trip to the Fort Wayne front office would have more females than ever before. Um, African-American full-time uh, work, worker, um, just different things. So we're going in the right direction. And then I think for me, when you say, you know, with the people, we are really open. I'm incredibly blessed. The staff there, Michael Limmer started in 99. Brian Shacko used to run a team in Beloit. Uh, Dave Lorenz and I shared a moving van in October of 99 from Nashville, Tennessee, driving up both, probably thinking we'd work there a year or two before the next opportunity came. So I don't have to micromanage. And, and the people really, really buy in. And then working with and for Jason Fryer, I mean, obviously we're sitting here, hopefully it's done, but you know, uh, or the impact is done, but the pandemic and all that kind of stuff. And he just showed everybody what kind of an owner he was on our staff. And so we are accountable. We have fun. There's fantasy football and baseball standings. If somebody would come through the office now, even though it's off season for baseball, the group of them goes out together at the end of these six game homestands. I'm not with them very often on that front anymore, but it's a good group. And our thing is, again, probably cliche, but develop them to go somewhere else. Now I hope they stay in Fort Wayne a long time, but we've had a lot of people that have moved on to upper, other opportunities. And we view that as us doing our job. If somebody's coming up in corporate sales, Dave Lorenz has been there 20 some years, just like I have. And, and who knows how many more we all have, but we can develop them. And then if they go somewhere else, that's great. And we've got people around the country. I worked with Eric Leach in Fort Wayne back in 2000. And he's the, the head guy at the Bowling Green Hot Rods and a great operator. Brad Shank came up through the Fort Wayne Wizards and Tin Caps and, and he's running the Columbia team. And so it's been a great place to get experience and learn and hopefully keep them around. But if they move on, then so be it. Yeah, and you've been in Fort Wayne for, for a long time, but a lot of stops along the way. Yeah. You mentioned starting in Kane County yeah. uh, with the Cougars uh, there outside of Chicago yeah. uh, over 30 years ago. Yeah. Um, what was what was it like when you first started uh, working in minor league baseball, so, and what it, was your path after that? Yeah, so I had the bug for it. Like, I came in, I ended up going to a couple years of school in Northern California, and then I graduated from Bowling Green back in Ohio, and at the time the sports management just was not in as many places. And so I graduated from there, had an awesome experience. And I think when I was going through it, I was sure I was gonna work in the NBA or something like that. And uh, for, I have a lot of friends that have done that and nothing against that, but I went to work for Bill Larson at the Kane County Cougars in 92. We were an Oriole team at the time. And man, I. I fell in love with it. I'm not going to bore people with the stories of walking uphill in the snow both ways and all the stuff that we had to do to prove ourselves, but it was four summers there. And so by the time I finished and graduated from BG, it was a year on the grounds crew and a year in concessions and a year in sales and a year in facility or ops cleanup. And so I felt like they did right by the people that came through. I think at one point, six of us in the four summers that I was there went on to be general managers. Mm -hmm. And like, there wasn't something in the water. It was the crew up there that was willing to teach and be vulnerable and let people learn with them and knowing they're going to move on. And so after that, 
Bowling Green said you have to do two internships at two different teams. And I was sure I was gonna work in Kane County my entire life. So I appealed and they said, thank you for appealing. It's been denied. I appealed one more time and they said, thanks again, it's denied and there are no more appeals. So I spent a year after that with the Brevard County Manatees. Here I am showing my age of teams that don't exist anymore yeah, and stuff yeah. like that. Had a blast. We had spring training for the Marlins the year before they won it. We had uh, a minor league season where we had the all-star game that year and helped lead the Cal League, or Cal League, Florida State League in attendance. And then the guys that I worked for at Kane County at that time bought the Nashville Sounds. So I spent 97, 98, 1999 in Nashville. I met a lot of their people last at the awards ceremony yeah. that had won, and I didn't know those people. And I gave them a trip down memory lane of historic Greer Stadium where I used to work that is not exactly the place they're in now. And we shared some laughs and met some new friends and then moved to Fort Wayne to be the assistant GM, then as the Wizards in the old ballpark. And sure enough, man, 22, 23 years later, uh, still in Fort Wayne in that great ballpark that we're in met my wife who's a warsaw indiana native just 40 minutes up the road a couple kids a uh, a college freshman down at iu bloomington and a high school senior that might join him down there next year and incredible staff incredible ownership where we've been able to keep reinvesting back into the ballpark and uh, we're, we're really excited about the future and i say that like not selling anything it looked like the last month of last year ben was it, it, again, ring the cliche bell, but it felt like normal again. Like even early in the 21, we were just happy to be back with some limitations. 22, we were really happy that, hey, we didn't have the distancing and a lot of that stuff. But it took a while to ramp up to it. Like we sold out July 4th and we did well, but it was a thousand less than it might have been before, you know? And so, and I've talked to a lot of friends here just in the day and a half. Um, you know, Kurt Landis from Lehigh Valley, arguably the top operator in the, in the business, Randy Lewandowski at Indy, one of the top, arguably the top operator, you know, and both shared, like, it felt like at the end, it was back to normal, whatever normal is or whatever it felt like and that kind of thing. And so there's a lot of excitement going forward and. And as we're here and learning about the future with Major League Baseball, there's a lot of optimism, too, there on the, on the marketing side of things to continue to grow the game. Yeah, definitely. And um, you mentioned you know, being a, lo- a leader, you know, vulnerability as a yeah. leader. You know, what does that mean to you in terms of you know, sharing challenges that you've had or yeah. just being really willing to have hard conversations that maybe not every you know, boss has? That's, a, that's really well asked, phrased. Brian Shacko in our office is our VP of finance. He does the finance for the teams in Fort Wayne and Columbia and Chattanooga that we own. And he has really, I've learned so much from him, but he has really pushed us in a great direction over the last few years, several years of, you know, my line is Todd Stevenson with the Padres gave it to me first. They stopped giving medals for people that work the most. Mm-hmm. I don't want anybody to hear that and think we don't work hard or we don't want to work hard or hey, you get a nice stadium and all of a sudden everything's easy because none of that is true. But my point is, we, Ben, this would be like crazy train stuff when I first started, but we made days off mandatory in 2022 in 
Fort Wayne with the tin caps. I mean home game dates. You have to take a couple of these weekends off. I can't. The place can't operate without me. Well, it needs to if we're going to develop the next set of leaders. And then one thing that I'm very open about and discussed it just very briefly during our uh, during my acceptance was I am a huge proponent. So minor league baseball can impact so many things. And we have the American Cancer Society and we have so many outreach things that are so awesome. I'm not suggesting this is greater. Um, but mental health in our country now is a huge thing. I feel like we're in a great spot where we can talk about things as a society more so than maybe when I was a lot younger when words were used to describe somebody as this or, or, or weak or this or th not my words, but those words used. And so we just, we don't do that. And so in our family, my daughter has battled a raging eating disorder that we're very open about. And she's had to leave the house a couple times for treatment at facilities away from Fort Wayne where she has been mature enough to say, this is what I need to do. This is what I want to do. I need to go away. I need to get well. I started to hear people as we were open about it. It's a delicate thing to talk about, but I was very open with the staff about it. And then they started opening up more and more to me of I've dealt this with this. Uh, maybe not an eating disorder or, hey, if she's looking for a therapist, this is one that I see about something. And, and it's become one of those buzzwords like synergy was and all that kind of stuff. But the vulnerability of like, man, I'm going to screw up as many things in 2023 during the season as anybody or more that works there. And if you don't give me a hard time for trying something new or trying something aggressive, I won't with you either. But on a personal thing, it is, again, it sounds weird, but we are very open with giving people, again, me at the top of the list, the permission to fail from the standpoint of, we can't just keep rolling out the same thing. There was a great seminar today about some of the new things in ticket selling post-COVID that resonated with us, even in the non-ticket world, like in terms of like just being willing to grow and to put yourself out there a little bit. And we've had, we've had people that have come in and it's just like, hey, I got this going on. I'm just going to shoot you straight. I need some time away. It's like, get out of here. We'll see. You're, you're incredible at what you do. When you're done, not done dealing with it, that sounds so temporary. When you're in a position to come back, get back here. We're, we can hold the fort down, you know, and so there's a lot of that stuff. And then you, you also mentioned it, like helping with the, the, the next generation. We have... You can't name people because then you, you you don't get to name them all. But three young ladies that come to mind right off the top, Morgan Olson and Jen Sylvester and Emma Reese, they run departments and in, 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 in divisions in our in our team and and help run them and stuff. And these some of these ladies are going to be GMs and stuff like that. And I think, again, back when I started, I don't know that there were any. There still probably aren't enough, but I feel um, compelled I feel uh, motivated to help get them to that to that spot to that next level and I don't want to give up the chair in Fort Wayne quite yeah. yet but somewhere yeah yeah and you've you know, expressed a lot of optimism you know about Fort Wayne and about yeah. the industry in general it's obviously been a tough couple of years yeah, with no doubt. Uh, the pandemic and the reorganization yeah. <laughs> of the entire industry and to do those together and to, yeah to have that happen <laughs> in tandem yeah but, um, you obviously sound 
bullish on the future. Yeah. I mean, where do you see uh, the team and the industry heading from here? I hope that in 2023, for my friends across the board, that we are back at and exceeding those 2019 numbers. Um, is that average per game now that we have some less home games, or can you get all the way back there? You know, time will tell. Uh, Kurt Hunsaker with with uh, you know Major League Baseball, um, I I feel like is a visionary. I've, we've known each other a long time. Um, Peter Woodfork, who a lot of us are still just getting to know. I woke up today, and the first email I got was from him. You know, the, 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 we got through the crazy unknown stuff, and now it's about building relationships and building this thing going forward. And so I do feel like, in, in, in our case specifically, we can get back to, you know, 6,000 fans a game that we've done. We weren't there. You know, clearly we weren't there. I've told people I felt like people's behaviors changed with staying at home. I shared about my daughter. Like, people are different, but they're still looking for the family-friendly place to go. I think that going to a movie is great. We, we used to do it a lot more. Uh, we do it all the time as a family. But something about the social aspect of baseball, I feel like where we did last year, our league had the pitch clock, so I guess all the minors did. It was such a welcome and improved addition to us. You know, we went from worrying, well, we went from thinking this is the greatest thing ever to after about two weeks of homestands going, is this going to cost us a bunch of money? Are these games too fast that we can't sell <laughs> yeah, as much yeah. stuff? To at the end going, this is so great and can't wait to see it on the major league level because I think it helps the game grow. The time for four-hour, nine-inning games, I hope, is over yeah. at the major and minor league level. And so there's a lot of smart people working in the same direction to have our industry maybe do some of the best numbers we've ever had over the next couple of years, and that's exciting. Awesome. Well, uh, yeah, lots of reasons uh, to hope for the future and for the present. Congratulations on uh, being 2022 Minor League Executive of the Year, and thanks for speaking with me. Mike Nutter, president, right? Absolutely. President of the <laughs> yeah. Fort Wayne Tin Caps. Uh, thanks for being on the show before the show podcast. Absolutely. Thanks so much. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Mike Nutter, president of the Fort Wayne Tin Caps. Uh, really enjoyed doing that interview, and I, I hope that uh, for those who just listened to it, which I hope is all of you, um, you got something from that and got a sense of you know what it means to be a leader in minor league baseball today. All right, Ben. Uh, we are going to go from the high A Midwest League to the Florida State League for your next conversation. You hear from Mike Nutter uh, in the uh, the big full on stages of his career and transitioning to somebody who's in the early stages of their career next. Right. I mean, we just talked to the executive of the year, but one of the other awards given out was the future star of the year. And that went to Rebecca Rivette, who works for the Bradenton Marauders as the manager of marketing and game presentation. Uh, she is, I believe, 25 years old, you know, literally half the age of 
uh, Mike Nutter, who we just heard from. I mean, Mike Nutter was five years into his career, you know, before Rebecca was born. So I liked doing these two interviews and I did them literally back to back uh, at the winter meetings and, you know, playing them back to back now. It's kind of, I don't want to quite say the yin and the yang, but hearing from a veteran industry perspective as we approach 2023 versus hearing someone who is just starting out in the game, uh, Rebecca Rivette, the manager of game presentation, of marketing and game presentation for the Bradenton Marauders, the 2022 future star of the year in minor league baseball. She's coming up next. Here on the show before the show podcast, I am now speaking live and direct from the Bayfront Hilton, home of the minor league portion of the baseball winter meetings. I'm speaking with Rebecca Rivette, the future star of the year, who is also the manager of marketing and game presentation for the Bradenton Marauders, but also awarded the future star of the year. Congratulations on that honor, and uh, thanks for joining me here on the podcast. Yeah, thank you. So what does it mean to be a future star? It feels surreal. I honestly don't think it's sunk in, really. Um, I, everyone keeps telling me how big of an honor it is to, you know, be one of 120 clubs. And mm. it's like hitting me more and more as time passes. But it's just so surreal. I mean, this is all I've ever wanted to do. And to get an award like this, it just means the absolute world. Yeah, and you're pretty obviously not just starting out in your career, but um, in, in the earlier phases, and this is a huge honor and maybe shows you're on the right path. How did you, what made you want to get into minor league baseball and uh, you know, what has been your path so far? I've been around baseball my entire life. Um, I grew up in New York and my family was, are still the Yankee fans. So I grew up going to the games and tailgating in the parking lot with my dad and my entire family and friends and everything like that. So. I've always been around it. Um, the Hudson Valley Renegades are very close to us too, so we went to a lot of minor league games, and I just enjoyed the family aspect and the fun of it. Um, and when I realized that I could have a career in it, I just knew that was for me. So that's all I've been pursuing since probably high school when I realized like, hey, there are jobs in baseball. People do this for a living. Um, so I, I interned a couple places just to kind of figure out what I liked and what I didn't like. I got involved with the um, Saugerty Stallions there in the PGCBL. Um, up in New York, and I was an intern in the press box. They brought me back for another season in 2018 to run the entire press box. Um, and then I attended the winter meetings in Vegas as a job seeker and got a position with the Northwest Arkansas Naturals as a creative services assistant. So I was there from February of 2019 through July of 2019. Um, I wound up leaving because I found the position with Bradenton and it was a full-time position. Then um, knew this is what I want to do. This is what I've been dreaming of. And I threw my name in the hat thinking I'm barely a year out of college and probably not going to get this, but here we are. So yeah. yeah, and Bradenton, that's an interesting location. Florida State League, also the home of the you know Pirates during spring training. Um, I know there's been a lot of renovations to it through the years, but it's one of the oldest ballparks in, in minor league baseball. Did you know much about Bradenton or the operation before you went? And, you know, what, what was your impression of it? I knew nothing about Bradenton. Um, I'd been to Florida a couple times for spring training throughout college. Um, it was always something that was really exciting to me, and I've loved spring training because I think fans get to interact with the players a lot more, so it was always interesting to me. So when I saw the position was available, I knew, hey, that's like something of real interest to me. That That's something I would want to be a part of. 
Um, I'm also a big Disney fan, so being in Florida and having Disney and the beaches, I was like, that's really a no-brainer for me. Um, I didn't really know much about Florida State League until day one when I showed up, so I've been learning a lot as um, time has passed and seeing, you know, what the fans are like and who we're targeting and everything like that, but didn't know anything coming in, so. Yeah, and uh, on one hand, there's no not necessarily a typical day in minor league baseball, but what is kind of, sort of, your, your typical day working for the Bradenton Marauders? I think my favorite part is that it is not typical at all. Um, I'm not someone that can sit still in an office from nine to five and focus on one thing. Um, that's why I love minor league baseball so much. There's less staff than a major league team and you're a lot more, you're doing a lot more on a day to day than just focusing on one department. Um, for me, I, I do a lot of our social media and kind of planning. So that's kind of my first step of the day is looking at our social calendar and making sure that we have all the graphics and copy and everything ready to go. Um, and I'll jump into updating the website or making graphics for the video board and making sure game days are ready, um, scripting for future games, planning out like our theme nights, in-game promotions and contests. Um, you name it. If it's not ticketing, it flows through me. So <laughs> it's really fun for me. Yes, you've gotten to wear a lot of hats, so to speak. And um, yeah, in terms of game presentation, so once the game starts, um, what are you doing most of the time? <laughs> um, it depends on the day. If it's a Tuesday through Thursday or a Sunday, um, I'm always up in the press box for pregame because it's hectic. Um, so just making sure that the staff is doing their job and staying to the time so that we're not late starting the game. Um, but usually once the game gets going, I try to go downstairs and do some laughs and interact with some of the fans. And I like finding out if it's someone's first game and putting together a package of beads and baseballs and just making it like a wow factor for them. Um, if it's a Friday or Saturday, I'm locked in that press box just because that's our it's our bigger nights it's our theme nights um, we do a lot of community focused nights on Fridays and then the bigger theme nights on Saturdays so there's a lot of elements the script gets really hectic so I like to just stay up there and basically run the show nice and um, I know it's kind of an awkward question to answer perhaps um, seem like a humble person but you won the future star award what qualities do you think you bring to the job that, that has made you a future star I was actually thinking about this. I kind of, I woke up really early this morning. <laughs> um, I'm on Eastern time still. So I thought about it a lot and was just thinking back on last night and just kind of like the shock I felt and having so many people come up to me and congratulate me, people that I don't even know. Um, to me, I just like, I think of it as a, that's my job. So I started thinking more about it and I've noticed in the past probably two to three weeks, like how much I really have grown since joining the team in Bradenton. Um, I have taken on marketing. That's not something that was in my title when I started this position. Um, and I've really grown attendance through marketing over social media, the newsletter, connecting with fans in the community um, through group nights and whatnot. Um, I've been driving a lot of um, community initiatives before we hired on a community relations coordinator. Um, so. I've been connecting a lot with our fans and just trying to grow that fan base and bring fans, bring more fans into Bradenton. Yeah, and being part of the Florida State League, it's a league that has a, I don't want to quite say notorious reputation, but certainly one of the more difficult to operate in with the uh, the weather, for one, and um, 
it can be hard to maintain the momentum after the big leaguers go north and then you're selling minor league baseball. Have you found it to be you know, particularly challenging as compared to Northwest Arkansas or some of the other places you've been? Um, I would say the hardest for me to see is some nights when we're not drawing the attendance that we were hoping to get. Um, just knowing that we wanted that to be a bigger night and it's not necessarily where we want it to be is hard. Um, I wouldn't say we lose momentum. I think we're so excited to get minor league season off the ground. One of my favorite parts about being in minor league baseball are the crazy theme nights and promotions and everything. So while spring training is very fun for me and very professional, when it switches, it seems like it's a lot more fun and loose and everyone can just kind of go crazy. Um, I would say that come August, you feel the burnout a lot more. You've pulled tarp countless times in Florida and you're over it and can't wait for the season to be over, but the season ends and you're wishing you had one more game. Yeah, and you always wanted to work in minor league baseball. Um, were you always aware that tarp pulling was gonna be such a big aspect of it? No, <laughs> not at all. Um, I actually have a running joke that like every off season, I'm gonna start training for tarp pulls. I never have, but I always say I will. So maybe one day. <laughs> Well, for someone looking to break into the industry, uh, what advice would you give regarding pulling a good tarp? Learn how to run without <laughs> slipping, for sure. Um, there have been too many times where I have thought I was going to go under that tarp and just be trapped there. Also, empty your pockets. I can't tell you how many times I've lost my phone under that tarp, and it's stuck until we pull it off. So, <laughs> Well, very good advice, and hopefully you don't have to deal with those issues going forward, at least losing your phone under the tarp. Um, but big picture, um, hey, you're the future star. Still have a lot of career ahead of you. What are you looking forward to in the future, or what are your goals uh, you know, going forward as you, you know, carve a path in this industry? Um, short term, I've put a lot of efforts into marketing for next season, so I'm really looking forward to just pulling off some of the theme nights and marketing efforts that we're really trying to work on. Um, and just have more fans out to the ballpark. Um, we've made some hires so that we're back to kind of 2019 staff levels. So hopefully we get that amount of fans back in the ballpark and it's exciting. Um, I think I've kind of found my love of marketing. I really love game presentation, but marketing for me has become something that is such a passion just because I love connecting with our fans and community. Um, so I think long-term, definitely sticking to the marketing side I definitely want to stick in minor league baseball, just being able to wear many hats. I love it so much. People always ask me, do you want to go to the majors? And I always say no. So <laughs> something something in the minor league level, we'll see where it takes me, but definitely marketing. Yeah. Well, you're a future star, which means I guess your star is yet to come. <laughs> so um, yeah, uh, big things ahead, it seems. And uh, congratulations again on winning this award. Thank you. Uh, Rebecca Rivette, the Manager of Marketing and Game Presentation for the Bradenton Marauders. Uh, thanks so much for talking with me. Thank you. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And that was Rebecca Rivette, 
future star of the year. She got that award at the winter meetings and uh, really appreciate talking to her and uh, Mike Nutter. And I uh, hope you enjoyed those interviews and uh, got some real perspective on the state of the industry just through their particular career paths and where they are in the game right now. Yeah, a lot of changes in minor league baseball in recent years, but it's uh, it's really cool to hear still some great people working in minor league baseball, as there always will be. And uh, Ben, not just winter meeting stuff, you got a lot more that is uh, up on the site, coming to the site, et cetera. Also, the newsletter, which you can sign up for at MILB.com. Uh, you've got a ballpark guide for the Tri-City Dust Devils, which is uh, up on the site right now. It's one of the more... I don't want to say remote minor league outposts, but a place that probably most people haven't found themselves. Tell us about Tri-City and uh, and what's coming up in the newsletter. Yeah, well, I think uh, one thing I mentioned in the Tri-City Dust Devils ballpark guide, it's Gisa Stadium, G-E-S-A, uh, that this might be the most geographically indistinct team name in all of minor league baseball, the Tri-City Dust Devils. If you're not really a minor league fan or know uh, that that team plays in the Northwest League, I imagine the average person would not have the slightest clue where the Tri-City Dust Devils play. I mean, Tyler, you know they play in Washington State in the Northwest League. Not to put you on the spot, but do you know the three cities that make up the Tri-Cities of Washington? You know what's funny? So my freshman year of college, I went to Washington State University. I have always been able to remember two of them and never the third. I know it's Kennewick, Pasco. Right. The ballpark is in Pasco. Kennewick is indeed the other one. The ballpark faces south and you can see, you know, Kennewick from the ballpark, you know, way off in the distance. What's the, the last one, one to start with? R. Kennewick, Pasco, and R. R is correct as well. Is it? Yeah, it's not Ra or Ra Ridge Way. I don't know. Rich. Rich Richland. Richland, there yes! you go. You it only it. took me, uh, what was my freshman year of college? Uh, 19 years ago. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Pasco, Kennewick, and Richland. Richland. Yeah, the ballpark is in Pasco. Uh, the Dust Devils have been around since 2001. You know, it's an interesting ballpark in that it was actually built for an independent league team. There was the Tri-City Posse who played there for, I believe, six years before the Dust Devils came in. The Dust Devils were, of course, that. a like everyone in the Northwest league were a short season team, you know, all the way through 2019 or would have been in 2020 if the season had happened, but they uh, have now played two seasons in the new Northwest league, which is at high a and full season. Obviously um, they had been an affiliate of the Padres, but again, with the transition to full season, they became an affiliate of the angels. And uh, I only went there once. I really liked that ballpark. It just felt warm and friendly and welcoming. And by minor league ballpark standards, remote. I mean, you can see, hills in the background and there's a lot of open space around the ballpark um you know pretty simple layout and design overall but and of course the the big um interesting feature of the facility is that when it was built uh the third base side of the ballpark was pretty much uninhabitable uh when the sun was up because that's a desert climate in the summer it is really hot and the third base side was just sun scorched so no one would sit on the third base side so the team erected what is essentially a giant set of window blinds. I mean, you, they call it a sunshade, but there's this huge window blind sunshade uh, that, you know, built on the first base side of the ballpark that blocks the sun 
as it shines down toward the third base side. And uh, Isn't this the ballpark more- where at one time, like, like 10, 12 years ago, they wanted to build like a moving sunshade, something that was going to try. It was almost like a blimp that was going to like track along with the sun. I know what you're talking about. No, the, the Tri-City Dust Devils did not do that because they built this permanent sunshade, which did the trick. The Boise Hawks went in a Boise Hawks in a um, more creative, but ultimately far less effective uh, solution. And it didn't really turn out to be a solution. They had to abandon the idea, but they, and this is awesome. They got a blimp. They had a tethered blimp that they tried to block the sun with (laughs) and it didn't work too well, but it would have made Mr. Burns proud. Exactly. And I'm not criticizing them at all. Like I love that. They said, you know what, let's, uh, let's just try to get a, uh, a blimp anchored out here to block the sun and it didn't quite work, but uh, you know, it does speak to when you're in that area of the country and you're playing a lot of summer nights and it's really hot and really dry. uh, The sun can definitely be a problem. Uh, The dust devils actually got a tarp for the first time when they became a full season team, because starting their season in mid June, they just literally did not. It just does not rain there. That's Um, amazing. So now it might rain a little bit in April and May. Uh, but you're not going to don't bring a poncho if you're going to see the dust devils. And of course, with the dust devils, you always have to shout out Eric Mertens, Eric, the peanut guy who uh, started with the team in their inaugural season of 2001 as a peanut vendor, but he quickly added, um, you know, game day between inning MC to his duties. And uh, he still does that as well as just being, especially if you're on social media and you've never been to a dust devils game, uh, if you're a minor league baseball fan, you've probably seen him on Twitter. He just exudes love for minor league baseball, love for the Dust Devils, and uh, is about as huge a team ambassador as any team in minor league baseball has, to the extent that if you now go to a Dust Devils game, there is a life-size bobblehead of Eric the Peanut Guy on the premises. And, of course, the real-life Eric the Peanut Guy uh, can be seen there as well. He was someone who I gave a when I did a – curated an insert set for the tops uh, pro debut set in 2016. I want to say I was able to get Eric, the peanut guy, his own baseball card. So one of my, I almost said one of my many life accomplishments, but one that I am proud of uh, getting Eric, the peanut guy, a baseball card. And I believe recently betrothed Eric, the peanut guy. As 100%. Well. Uh, Congratulations. Karina, I think through uh, Twitter, I, I've not met Karina, but he, he got married at the ballpark. Yeah. There's a funny picture of his bride and the bobblehead, kind of like, this is the guy I married in <laughs> bobblehead form. And uh, not a whole lot of brides get to do that. So that's pretty no, good. No. And it got me thinking, man, like, you know, weddings are so ridiculous. I feel like that could be a thing. Get life size bobbleheads of the bride and groom. That, that's a great idea. see that more often. I mean, hey, if you're a wedding planner out there. Yeah. Ding, ding, ding. Get in touch. Yeah. Beck can, be, can put you with the right people to make it. Absolutely. Life size bobbleheads. <laughs> tell me you wouldn't want that at your wedding. <laughs> Benjamin Hill, you can find on Twitter at Ben's Biz. Uh, you can find the newsletter at MILB.com. He's on Instagram at the Ben's Biz. And uh, good work as always from the winter meetings, ma'am. And uh, only, only a few more seconds of a podcast without Sam Dykstra before we're both back to, to normalcy. Yeah, I feel like we're like, you know, like dad went away and uh, the kids had to figure things out on their own. I hope we're doing all right. But I think we're doing OK. We're having great conversations. Tim Wakefield did play for the Welland Pirates. In yeah. Amazing. We know what we're talking about. Get a toothpick. Think about UL Washington. Um, get a life-size bobblehead. Learn about the industry. We're doing OK. 
I already forgot the name of his hometown, but he and Reba met. Stringtown, right? Stringtown. Yeah. Stringtown. I thought that was a Steve Miller band thing. Anyway, uh, you can find Ben Hill on the internet. Uh, Josh Jackson comes by next. Thanks, Ben. Thanks, Tyler. Let's all go to Stringtown. this podcast to bring you another thrilling edition of ghosts of the miners now here's your correspondent and host joshua jackson welcome back to ghosts of the miners in which all of you out there in radio land must identify the legitimate historical ball club hiding amidst the fraudulent pair one once played hardball. If you believe in the others, you've gone soft. In the last segment, I asked you which of the following minor league baseball teams did at one time exist. A. The Lizard Lick Iguanas. B. The Shantytown Rattlers. C. The Pocomoke City Salamanders. Get off your belly and stand tall if you pick C. The Pocomoke City Salamanders, who represented the burg known as the friendliest town on Maryland's eastern shore, inappropriately enough, the Eastern Shore League of 1922 and 1923. The Pocomoke River is currently the subject of an ambitious and so far successful ecological restoration project after experiencing a massive aquatic species die-off in the 1990s, and historically it's been home to an abundance of amphibians, including salamanders. But baseball salamanders, playing in the very first year of the Eastern Shore League's existence, might as well have been named for the low level at which they performed. The 1922 club went 29-41, and 41, and in those 70 games cycled through three managers, Jack Ryan, Ducky Davis, and former Baltimore dry dock pitcher Sam Frock, who came aboard in mid-August. Davis, who remained with the club as catcher after giving up the helm, told the press he was happy to wait a few more years before trying managing again. Maybe had Pocomoke City's club not been so full of holes in that first year, Ducky would have kept his pluck. But the 22 Salamanders finished 14 and a half games out of first place. In 1923, the Salamanders played a little bit slicker, with a sharper focus under new skipper Jimmy Sharp, who had helmed the Luddington Mariners to a Central League title two years prior. But as the campaign wore on and Jiggs Donahue's Dover Senators showed leadership, Herb Armstrong's Cambridge Canners preserved a string of W's, and Polk Whalen's Laurel Blue Hen started producing, the Salamanders struggled to stay afloat. In fact, things were even grimmer at the box office. In the beginning of August, the team sold off three of its star players, most notably Harvey McDonald, who wound up leading the league with a 388 batting average for the circuit champion Senators, because, as the Worcester Democrat put it, the very existence of the club was in the balance. But not even the sale of those salamanders proved a salvation. About three weeks later, on August 27, the money troubles poked Pocomoke City right out of the league. And that's how the salamanders sank. Now, on to the question for next time. 
which of these teams had some starch in its step in the minors of yesteryear? A. The Aroostook County Nine Spuds. B. The Kennewick Taters. C. The Idaho Falls Russets. Want to know the answer? Get mashing. Or tune into the next Ghosts of the Miners. But for now, you'll have to excuse me. My producer Ben Hill is trying to cut a record, and it sounds like I'd better lend him some scissors. <laughs> Hey, that will do it for this week's episode of the show before the show. Huge thanks uh, to Benjamin Hill for his winter meetings, extravaganza, interview work, and more. Uh, And for Josh Jackson, the absent Samuel P. Dykstra, who will make his triumphant return next week. My name is Tyler Mom. We'll talk to you then. Hey.